We're going to uh, continue our study in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, two more sermons out of um, two more Sundays, uh, and we're going to finish up this uh, study that we've been in now for some time. But if you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35, as we get more insight into why we have to die. We won't finish chapter 15, we'll do that next week, um, starting in verse 50, but um, I just think it's such an important chapter. And he says here, beginning in verse 35, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else that God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, this we ask as we study your precious word that you would open our eyes to see and that you would give us understanding, Lord, about what we can expect about what will take place, Father, in our lives at one point or another. And so, Lord, we turn to you and ask, Lord, that you would work in our hearts and show us and help us to understand on a deeper level, Lord, why things are as they are. And so, Lord, we give you this time and we thank you, Lord, that you are our teacher. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, to me, it's, you know, we all have our fascinating passages that we like to look at that as I work through these passages, um, I, it's, it's amazing when you think about how God ex- is explaining to us why we have to die and, uh, and how none of us here really want to think about that, if we're honest. <laughs> that he, he goes into detail about the necessity of death and because of what it means for us later on. So let's just look at it. We all struggle with that. When we're younger, we very rarely think about it unless it's hit us uh, through the loss of someone close to us. And as we live life, we, we don't really like to think about it. And as we get older, we don't really like to think about it. That uh, This is something we, that we're going to look at this morning. So it's a very interesting and intriguing part of our future existence as believers. And I, I just wanted to encourage you, and I hope that it does, as we leave today looking at this. Uh, this section specifically addresses what happens to our bodies after we die. Um, and it's probably good to remember one thing as we look at these scriptures. Paul's talking about things we don't know anything about. Uh, he's talking about, uh, not talking about verifiable facts in that we've never seen the resurrected Christ, uh, but about matters of faith. 
And he gives us insight into a world unseen, and he's putting into human terms things that cannot really be described. So let's just kind of study that and look at what's going to go on. Uh, fascinating verses. I just want to read point one, and then we'll get more into it. So, the second God brought us into this world in a fallen, perishable state of existence, he was preparing us for death so that we could receive an imperishable body capable of an eternal existence with him in the supernatural realm. We must die so that our perishable, dishonorable, weak body racked by sin can be resurrected as a powerful, glorious, imperishable uh, spiritual body free from the effects of the fall. He'll transform us to shine like the brightness of heaven, which will cause us to shout for joy over what the gift of salvation means for us. And so really, and that's coming from the front of the bulletin with Job writing that, that it's just really interesting that he's going to transform us. And how, how that is described is just incredible when you think about it. Uh, so we're going to go a little deeper in this. And so what Paul does is he sets out to answer a question. And maybe it was a question they raised. It says here in verse 35, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised and what kind of body will they, will they come? And so what he does in answering this question, he answers it in four ways. He gives us an illustration from nature, tells us what kind of body resurrections will be like. He contrasts earthly and resurrected bodies, and he reminds us of our prototype, for lack of a better word, which is Jesus Christ. And so really, he goes kind of deep as we get into this. I think it's fascinating when we think about it, because it's meant to give us understanding of why we have to die. You know? Now, we might not if we are raptured, so keep that in mind, too. We might not have to experience that. And so in his illustration from nature, Paul tells us that our bodies are like seeds that dissolve, take on different form, and yet remain the same. So he said, you're all like seeds, you know. Any of us here have ever done any planting? I haven't done a lot, but I have done a little bit. And I'm amazed that I can even bring anything out of the ground, but it's a seed that's doing the work because I don't have a green thumb, you know. But he says that this in three significant ways, the resurrection is like planting growth crops. Uh, the original form is dissolved. Uh, the original and final forms are of different kind. And yet the two forms have continuity. One cannot exist without the other. And so basically, if you think about it, what happens with a seed when it's planted into, in the ground is it actually resurrects into a plant. It's resurrection. Uh, it's not impossible because it occurs on a small scale continuously in the plant world. Just think about that. You put a, put a seed in the ground, it dissolves, and it resurrects into a plant. So it's resurrection going on. And that's why Paul makes the comparison. Uh, it must die first before it's resurrection. Uh, and he says this in verse 36. He goes, how foolish. Now, he uses very strong language here. If you really want to translate it literally, he says, you fools, instead of how foolish. And so... Paul never meant his word. And he says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And so this is what we've got to understand. When a seed is planted, it actually goes through decomposition. Now, I'm not a farmer, and I don't know, I don't know squat about what goes on there. But I understand that when you throw a seed on the ground or plant a seed or whatever, that it decomposes and then something happens, you know. It, it, it must cease to exist in its original form as a seed before it can become to life in its final form as a plant. It must continue 
or it must cease to exist in its original form in order for it to be resurrected into a plant. Got that? Okay, so think about yourself. Think about your bodies. Think about life. Think about the hardness of life. Think about the difficulties you have with life. Think about dealing with your bodies as they break down. Think about everything that life brings us and understand this one thing. We must cease to exist in our original form in order for us to be resurrected. Isn't that interesting? I mean, think about it. I mean, it hits me. This common principle was used by Christ himself in describing his death. In John 12, he said this, 23 and 24, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, now he is talking about himself. Unless I fall to the ground and die, he said, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And what Jesus is saying is, unless I die, the many seeds won't be reproduced. And so I'm telling you that I'm going to be like the wheat seed. I am going to die so that I can reproduce many seeds. And each and every one of us that know Christ here is one of those seeds that's been reproduced. He's given us life. And, I just, and you look at it from a different perspective there. And so before Christ could bear the fruit of salvation for us, he had to die. And likewise, before we participate in the fruit of the resurrection, we have to die, I think, both here to ourselves as well as physically. In John 12, 25, the man who loves this life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world dies, that is, dies to self, will keep it for eternal life. And so like the growing crops, there, there must be an end to the old before there's a beginning of the new. And in the case of men, one body, which is Christ, had to die in order to reproduce the many bodies that will be there in heaven to be with him. So let's look at point two. Now this is what I find interesting. You can correct me if you think that I'm wrong in these things. But we're going to kind of go a little deeper into looking at Christ's resurrected body. Uh, so... And the thing about that, once again, is remember he ascended and he's at the right hand of the Father and he is sitting at the right hand of the Father in his physical body, which is another thing that fascinates me. And so he ascended. He's no longer confined by this world. And we will no longer be confined when we receive our resurrected bodies. But he says this, point two, the new resurrected spiritual body we will receive when we are raptured will be the same, of the same nature as our current bodies. Remember the seed is the same nature in a sense, but superior in every way, will function at a different level of existence with other worldly properties, meaning that we will no longer be confined by the physical properties of our current level of existence. Now, all I know is that when I stub my toe and I refrain from saying things that I shouldn't refrain, you know, shouldn't be saying, right? All I know is that the physical world has just dealt me a blow, and I don't like it or when I injure myself or put my hand into the saw or whatever it might be, right? And so we are confined to the physical realm in our current state of existence. We look at one another, we're all looking at one another in our current state of existence. Now listen to this. It's not a stretch to think that since we will be like Jesus, we'll be able to travel through space and time instantaneously and pass through structures effortlessly, just like he did. Is that a stretch? I mean, we're taking our example from Christ. Now, you think about that. 
And man, I can't wait. But the thing is, in our current state of existence, we can't do that, which means that we must die first. All of us. Sooner or later. And man, I don't know if I can wrap my brain around that one. You know? But this is the reality of it. So kind of open it up a little bit. Look at these things as we go down. In his illustration from nature, Paul tells us, like the plant where there, there, there is a difference between the original and final forms. There's a difference. The seed loses its identity as a seed and becomes more and more like the mature plant. And we see that. <clears throat> the seed itself looks nothing like the mature plant it produces. So this is verse 37. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed perhaps of wheat or of something else. You know, and he says, and so we don't have a clue about our resurrected bodies and what they'll look like. Our only illustration is, is Christ himself, you know. And so when you plant a seed, obviously what's reproduced is what's planted. If it's a wheat seed, wheat's going to come up. When we are planted and when we are resurrected, I mean, when we are put in the earth after we die or, you know, cremated or whatever, whatever it is, you know, God has the power to bring together whatever has been destroyed in this world and bring it together perfectly to resurrect that individual into the body that God has given that person while they lived on life in life here. Not impossible. So let's just trust him for that. And so he talks about these things. And the illustration we have is Christ himself. And during his appearance, Jesus went from one place to another without traveling in any physical way, it seemed. He appeared and he disappeared at will. And he entered rooms without opening doors. Now, if we're going to be like Jesus, is it a stretch to think then that we'll be able to do those things? I think we will be. And that's a gift. You see, that's the thing. That's part of the gift of salvation that God's going to give us. And we're going to be just ecstatic with joy in that. Luke 24. And then the eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. And so here he is, and their eyes were open, they recognized him, and he disappeared. Now this is interesting, isn't it? So there Jesus is talking, hey, this is Jesus, man. I remember walking with him, talking with him. It's true that he talked about the resurrection, and then he's gone. And they're all looking at one another like, what just happened? You know? So uh, could it be that in a resurrected life, with all resurrected, but we're talking to one another, and all of a sudden we have a thought, well, I think I'll go over to that galaxy. Boom, you're gone. Or I go over here. Is it a stretch? When you think about the supernatural realm, why would it be a stretch? In John 20, 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was, uh, was with them. And, and though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So he just kind of walked right through the door. Now, if we're going to be like Jesus, is it a stretch then to think that we will change so physically, even though we'll be recognizable and have physical bodies, that we'll be able to do these things? And I would like to think that we will. So his resurrection, the resurrection changed Jesus' body in marvelous and radical ways, and at his return, all resurrection bodies will be changed in marvelous and wonderful ways. That we have to die first. Hmm. 
And then Paul uses an illustration from nature where he says that in spite of the difference, there will remain a continuity between the old and the new. He says in verse 38, but though God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. So there's a continuity between the old and the new. Each seed is given its own body, and he goes on. And so the seed changes radically, but it continues to be the same life form. A wheat seed does not become barley. A barley seed does not become wheat. And God has given each type of seed a body of its own whose identity continues into the grown plant. And so we think about what he's going to do there as far as we're, we're concerned. And so after Jesus was raised, no one recognized him unless he, re- he revealed himself. But once he revealed himself, he remained recognizable. Now, it's interesting. We'll get to this a little bit about marriage and no marriage, thing about the resurrection, things like that. Some argue that we'll be sort of um, the same. No difference between male and female. And, and I don't agree with that. If, listen, if I'm a guy, why am I going to be rec- uh, rec- re- resurrected into this androgynous, whatever you want to call it, or female? I, I just don't agree with it because Jesus himself was recognized as a man and as Christ himself, recognizable as a man. And so I, in my opinion, I believe that we will recognize male and female even though they won't be married, even though there's not going to be that eros even existent in our eternal existence. And quite frankly, I'm glad for that. You know, so just, just a point of view there. And so uh, he revealed himself and he remained recognizable. And I believe that our bodies will die and they'll change form, but they will still be our bodies and will still be recognizable. And so he goes on to describe uh, the form of our resurrection bodies. And we're told that our bodies will take a form fitted for the resurrected life. We couldn't handle the spiritual realm in our in existence right now. So he says here in verse 39, as we go down through, looking at this, and he, and he says this. He said, so all flesh is not the same. Men have uh, one kind of flesh. Animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and star differs from star and splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. And so what he does is he kind of explains a little bit about what's going on. This is his, his point. By nature, our resurrected bodies will have their own unique makeup, and they're going to be superior because they're going to be spiritual. They're going to be spiritual bodies. They're going to be heavenly bodies. And in our, in our state of existence, we can't handle that right now. In our limited form here, we cannot handle what, God's going to offer us in the spiritual realm. And so we must all die in order for him to raise us imperishable. And that's the thing. You know, really, when we think of death, what God is really trying to do is change our perspective. Because when people die that we know and we love and people that are close to us, there is such 
a tremendous ache of the heart that it's hard to describe. Grief, mourning. And so what the Lord wants us to understand, obviously, because death came about through the fall, but he's also trying to encourage us, saying that, that you know, you, everyone must die, but those who know me, I have this in store for them, because you must die in order to receive what I have for you. And what I have for you is much more superior than what you've ever experienced in this life. But understand the necessity of death. It doesn't make it any easier. Because this is a thing. Why not talk about it? I mean, we can't avoid it. We shouldn't avoid it. Usually people don't want to talk about it because they don't want anything to do with it, let alone think about it. And God says our days are preordained. I don't know how many days I have left, you know. But he tells me they're preordained. And I'm enjoying life as much as I can as I have it. But I also understand that I'm going to die. And part of me is glad for it because I know what I'm going to receive. And so I have no choice in the matter. <laughs> I have no control in the matter. But what I appreciate is that God is giving us an understanding of why it must take place. Instead of just letting us go out there hopeless, wondering what the heck is this all about, and I'm so sick of it, must we have to you know, deal with this? And I know that we even think about this at times when there's such that deep ache. But the thing is, God is an educator. He's the one who opens our eyes to see. He's the one who opens our heart to understand the necessity of it. And so there, it's amazing when he says this, that there's an amazing variety of earthly bodies made by God. Uh, he says in verse 39, all flesh is not the same. Notice this, God created all of it. Men have one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, and fish another, you know. Uh, and, and when you think about that, a little story, I was coming back from the, the hymn sing Sunday night. I told some people this, and something told me, because I don't have light. When I get out of my garage and I walk around back to go down, I don't, and when I eventually get everything wired up there, I'll probably put a three-way so I can turn on the three-way and then go down and turn it off, you know. I don't have a light for the back uh, sidewalk. And I don't know, something told me, turn, turn your, you got the little flashlight on your phone? And I wasn't going to do it, but somebody said, you, you should turn your flashlight on. <laughs> so I turn my flashlight on, I go around the corner, I go to, I have like this chain link fence, I get right to the, the door to open it up, and I shine my flashlight, and two to three feet in front of me was a skunk looking right up at me on the sidewalk. <laughs> I mean, he was looking me right in the eyes. Oh, man, am I so glad I turned this flashlight on because to tell you the truth, I would have just opened the gate and walked right into him and it wouldn't have turned out a very... <laughs> so animals have their own kind of bodies, right? That could have been disastrous. <clears throat> I would have been taking a bath in, what are you, I don't know, tomato juice or whatever. Anyways, so, and it's interesting, but... Uh, when we think about what he's been given us, you, you think about amino acids, uh, the building blocks of life. And it's a not, not only does each individual plant, animal, and human being have a distinct pattern of amino acids, but each individual plant, animal, and human being has its own unique grouping of them. No two flowers, animals, seeds, blades of grass, or human beings, even identical twins are exactly alike. 
because we all have different amino acids and things like that. It's fascinating. So this is the thing. Can you imagine when you think about all the people that have lived uh, from the time of Adam? All the different looks. Everybody's a little different. You know, they have the doppelgangers and whatever. You know, everybody's like a little different. That kind of thing. Then when we get to heaven, we all receive our resurrected bodies. We'll be recognizable, but we'll be different. Everybody's going to be a little different. And I love that because God loves variety. You know, and I'm glad that we're going to be different. You know, it's interesting when you read commentaries, and we'll get into this maybe a little next week, that you know, Christ died, what, about the age of 33? His ministry started when he was 30. Some disagree with that. Some say he died when he was 30. It doesn't really matter. He died as a young man, died about 33. And his resurrected body was then the resurrected body of a 33-year-old, right? And if we're going to be like Jesus, most believe that we will all have that prime of life resurrected body of about a 30 or 33-year-old. I'm for that. Yeah. Something to think about. Obviously, it's, it's speculation, but if we're going to be like Jesus, then why not be like him also at the age that he was resurrected? Something to think about. And so he goes on. So we know that, that each is identified with its own species of kind. We also know that there's an amazing variety of heavenly bodies made by God. And that fascinates me when you look up into the sky. You know, when you look up at the moon and the stars and the constellations and everything else, and to think that God knows the stars by name. You know, we have problem remember the person we met just five minutes ago. And it says here in verse 40 that there are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of earthly bodies is another. And God sees each as having its own splendor. I mean, he still looks at us in our fallen state as still having that splendor because he created us in his image. And he says in verse 41, the sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and stars differ from star in splendor. And so this is Paul's emphasis. And that was verse 41. Our resurrected body will be as individual and unique as all the other forms God has made. And that's what he's trying to tell us. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, uh, he says. So it is with them that they'll have their own splendor. And then he goes on to explain in verses 42 to 44, he will go on and say, our resurrected bodies are, are fit to live eternally with him. And so he draws four analogies to give us an idea of what this will mean for us. The first one pertains to durability. And so here we are at verse 42. And he said, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. Talking about durability. Never to break down. Never to age. Never to have to deal with any kind of sickness. Ever, ever, ever. Imperishable. No breaking down there. Always alert. Always healthy. Always strong always full of energy, we'll have the mind of Christ, we'll know fully as we are fully known, and that's what we have to look forward to. You see, when we sing about the cross and we sing about the blood and we sing about all those things that Christ has done for us, 
talk about redemption, talk about justification, talk about sanctification and all those things that have been done for us. Oftentimes we don't realize also that the resurrection was sealed for us upon our salvation. And that's part of it, receiving this resurrected body. And so he says that is sown and perishable, is raised and perishable. Notice that seeds are sown, disintegrate, and produce a plant. We are sown perishable, which means that we deteriorate and eventually die. In Psalm 103, it says, As the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows that we are formed, uh, how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. And as for man, his days are like grass, and he flourishes like a flower of the field. And the winds blow over it and it's gone and it places in its place remembers it no more. Notice it's like a flower, like he's planted, it's like a flower. Eventually that flower is going to die. And then it will be remembered no more. But if we were Jesus, we will never be forgotten. You know. And yet God reverses his process for those who are his, and he'll raise his, he will raise what was perishable and give believers a body that is permanently imperishable. This means that our new bodies, like I said, will have no sickness or decay or anything like that. Listen, I just want this to be an encouragement for those who are dealing with uh, the, the devastation of cancer or the devastation of disease or the devastation of aging or the des devastation of whatever might be going on and how difficult to have to go through another chemo treatment or how difficult to have to deal with the loss of a limb or the loss of the ability to walk or paralysis. Those things that this cruel life can bring in this fallen world. And what God is saying is, is I understand those things. I hate it as much as you do. But I've made it to where that will change for you, my child. But you've got to be patient. And I'll bring you through. And you've got to keep your eyes on me. And I'll make you whole. Just wait. And lean on me for all your worth. Because this life can be very cruel. And that's what a fallen world is like. We don't know what our tents are going to do to us. We don't know how our bodies are going to react to aging or even different things. And you wake up one day and you're living life and you're expecting things to happen and everything else and you're making plans and all of a sudden, in a second, it changes through a cancer diagnosis or a car accident or something else coming along, autoimmune disease or whatever it might be. And there's nothing we can do in some of those scenarios, other than lean on him and ask him to bring us through and wait with expectation on what's in store for us. And it's meant to give us perspective and it's meant to encourage us because without that, there would be no hope whatsoever. And he says this to us, our days are like grass, but yet God reverses the process through being imperishable. And he, he says this in, in 1554, when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and immortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been followed, swallowed up in victory, in victory. 
And we look at all these things and praise God for that. I just wanted to read here in Revelation uh, uh, 21, 3 to 5, and these are familiar too. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he'll dwell with them. And they'll be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and he'll wipe every tear from their eyes, and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. They're trustworthy and true. And see, the tendency is to get consumed with what life brings along, to be consumed by whatever sickness might come. And I understand that. I mean, you're just sitting there, and you're feeling like crap. And it's easy just to be consumed with that. And God understands that. But understand this, that he is right by our side. And he sees you in your glorified body. And the thing is to lean on him in the midst of feeling like that and, 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 to, and to be hopeful. And he gives another contrast in verse 43. He says this about the body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. And really he's talking about value and potential. At the fall, man's potential for pleasing and serving God was greatly reduced, obviously. His mind, body, spirit have all been affected by sin. This is the thing. I've been in, I started... Uh, Oh, I'm not drawing it. Just I started reading through my Bible again. I finally finished it up, and now I started it again. And uh, I'm in Genesis, and I'm thinking about Adam and Eve, and I'm thinking about what they were given, and I'm thinking about the special relationship they had with God, and I'm thinking about how their bodies were perfect, and they were living in this perfect environment. And Adam's conversing with God, and he's naming the animals as they come along, how intelligent he was. And the Lord gives him his beautiful wife, and his heart leaps for joy, and gives him a companion. And all these wonderful things, and they're vibrant, and they're strong, and they're healthy, and their thinking is so clear. And Satan comes along and deceives Eve. While Adam was there, by the way, and instantaneously, once they fell, how he must have felt the effects of the fall on his body. And how she must have felt, felt the effects. They knew guilt right away. Right away they felt guilty. Not only that, they felt shame right away. They never felt guilt or shame before. None of that ever existed. And then right away they, they wanted to blame one another for what went on. And, and, and sin just kind of came crushing down on them because they knew what it was like without it, how it must have devastated them when they realized what they did. And the thing with us is we were, we were, we were born perishable. We were, we were born uh, in dishonor, and that's all we really know. And so think about this. There's going to be a day when we don't feel any of that. We won't feel the effect of any of that. We won't have any guilt. We won't have any shame. We won't have anything to do with sin whatsoever. And that's another thing that's in store for us. And quite frankly, I'll be glad to get away from myself. How about you? Amen? Amen. And this is the thing that the Lord is trying to do in these scriptures, is give us hope so that we have an understanding of what we have in store for us. And that's a gift. 
who among us deserve it? But he's saying, you understand, because you put your trust and your faith in my son, oh, I'm going to give you more than you can even imagine. And I'm going to give you a body, a physical body that you've never even experienced. One capable of dwelling with me in the eternal realm. One capable of handling the, handling the supernatural. One capable of, of being so vibrant and alive in, in, in mind and in thought and physically that you will leap like calves from the stall. And that's what he has for us. You see the value of salvation. It's incredible. But yet we get too consumed with the affairs of this life. Now I understand it's going to come along. We've got to deal with it. We've got to deal with raising family and, and, and keeping marriages healthy and, and, and going to work and, and dealing with what the body's doing and on and on. But if we allow it to consume us to where that just becomes whatever it is, drudging through life day by day, then we've taken our eyes off of him and what we have in store for us. And so what the Lord wants us to do is just to remain hopeful and keep our eyes on him concerning those things. And so here we are, we're sown in dishonor and at the fall, like I said, all this came upon us. And even as believers, we are still sown in dishonor, but that ends upon death. The imperfect and dishonored body one day will be raised in glory. And so that's, but we must die first. And then we'll have this perfect, pleasing, enjoying existence and praising the creator. And then the third contrast has to do with ability. You know, the, we have value and potential and, and, and then what we're going to receive. And now ability, it is sown in weakness. And I love this, it is raised in power. It's raised in power. And that this weakness takes on many forms spiritually and emotionally, physically. But God will not allow weakness to exist in his kingdom, only power. And so he's going to raise us in power. And I don't think we can fully comprehend what that will mean for us. What we do know is that that weakness will no longer be a part of who we are. We'll be raised in power. Man, that's going to be awesome. And think about that. And then the fourth contrast has to do with the sphere of the realm of existence. And he says it is sown in natural body in verse 44. It is raised a spiritual body. That's what it's raised. So our earthly body is strictly natural and it is meant to dwell in a natural realm of the earth. And it is suited and limited to the physical earth. And our new bodies are called spiritual bodies. They'll still be bodies but bodies created to dwell with God that are imperishable, glorious, and powerful. Spiritual bodies. And we all have it in store for us. This is something to look forward to. It's not a select thing that goes on. It's for every believer, no matter what their struggles might be in this life. And like Luke 20, 30, 30, 34, 36, Jesus replied, the people of this age marry or are given in marriage. I just, wouldn't it have been interesting to just sit at his feet and listen to him talk? How challenging it must have been for them to listen to Jesus talk and say these things. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection of the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they, notice this, it says, can no longer die. They can no longer die. 
For they are like the angels. They are God's children since they are what? Children of the resurrection. And so here we are. I'll tell you what made you worthy. Your faith in Jesus Christ. And your faith in Jesus Christ guarantees that you'll be a part of the resurrection. Guarantees it. And he further elaborates on this in verse 45 as we go down through, and I'll just read this. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The last Adam being Jesus. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. Isn't that interesting? You have Adam, and you have the second man, Jesus Christ, Adam from the dust of the earth, and he went to the dust of the earth. Jesus Christ came from heaven down, and he was, what? In bodily form. He came, spiritual body, transformed physical. As was the earthy man in verse 48, so are those who are of the earth, and as, and as is the man from heaven, or so are those who are of heaven. And we are of heaven, not of the earth. And then he goes on, and just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. And we'll bear his likeness, resurrected body. Each and every one of us, given that. And he goes on to explain those things. And he elaborates about the spiritual body and what it means for us. You know, the reality of our existence is this. We've been given a life-giving spirit. We are from heaven, and we bear the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so the next time, as you stand at the graveside of someone you love very much, that at the graveside of a believer, understanding that that person's death had to take place in order for them to receive the resurrected body. And then you stand there and you look at that. And yeah, it might tug at the heart, but you realize, this is what I find interesting, that they are six feet down, they're in that cement vault or whatever it is, and that their body is going to break through all that and be raised and resurrected up to be with Jesus Christ when he raptures us. And I look at that, and I'm like, it's just temporary, right? It's just temporary. There's no permanence going on there with that individual. When I think about myself, and I think, just temporary. I can handle it. I can handle what life brings because of what I have in store for me. And so this is the thing, and you think about what life is dealing with you right now, dealing you, you can handle it in him. It's a matter of perspective, but it's also a matter of understanding what we've been given in Jesus Christ. Don't let it consume you. Don't let it destroy you. Don't let it cause you depression to the point where you can barely function. Don't let that happen because you can handle it through him. Then he goes on, and I'll just read this, and then we'll finish up here in verse 50. And then he says this. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. So it's impossible for us in our present state of existence to inherit what we've been given until we die. And then once we die, 
and we're home with him. And uh, if we die before he returns, we're in what is called a disembodied state, even though we're recognizable. Remember in Luke 16 with Lazarus and a rich man, we're very recognizable uh, forever, whoever we are, right? We are going to be living in a disembodied state, waiting for our bodies. Meanwhile, praising and worshiping our God and our Savior. Or if we happen to be here before the rapture, and we're raptured, isn't that going to be a trip? Wow. Wow. Man, we have so much in store. I just want to read this last point because it's important. In order for our resurrection to take place, we must possess eternal life in our current state of existence before we die. You catch that? We must, what? Possess eternal life in our current state of existence before we die. No one can inherit the kingdom of God unless they are born again. For those of us who are, we're to live by faith day by day. Nothing in this life is worth losing the hope and joy of our salvation. Nothing. And I just was thinking about this. And how can we apply these verses? And this is what I take from our passage today. This is like the thing that I sat there. I will live by faith day by day until I die or I'm called up into the clouds to be with my Savior. I'll live by faith day by day. For the righteous shall live by faith. I will not allow what happens to me in this life to take my eyes off of my Savior. I won't allow it. Oh, Satan will try, and this fallen world will try, but I will not allow what happens to me in this, in this life to take my eyes off my Savior. I won't allow what my body does to me to keep me from loving him and holding on to him. No matter what disease might come along, no matter how I am racked, because of this or that or this, this misfortune or whatever, I will not allow what happens to my body to take my eyes off of him because it's just a temporary tent. I won't allow what man does to me to keep me from trusting him. I won't allow it. Why? Because I know what I'm looking forward to. I know what I'm looking forward to. And praise God that I'm going to be able to spend eternity with you each and every one of you, as we look at one another and we laugh and enjoy what we've been given because of Jesus Christ. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love. Lord, the magnitude of what you've given us as believers beyond comprehension. We can barely grasp, and yet you're so good to us. And you're constantly showing us more and more and more and more of what we've been given and oh, how you honor faith and how unworthy we are. And we thank you, Lord, that you're faithful. And we thank you, Lord, that you're preserving us unto the day. We thank you that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We thank you that we have your protection. We thank you, Lord, that you have us by the right hand, Lord. We thank you, Father, that there is nothing that can affect or take away our salvation, not even ourselves. And so, Father, we wait. Meanwhile, I pray, Father, that you give us the strength to be able to deal with what life is giving us right now, Lord. It becomes very difficult, and you understand that. And so, Father, please forgive us if we've taken our eyes off of you. And, Father, help us to stand strong and help us, Lord, to put our eyes on you and to keep them on you, Lord, as we live this life. Ah, I pray for those, Lord, who mourn for the loss of loved ones and how their hearts ache, Father. But thank you for giving us perspective and what to look forward to. Such a temporary, 
existence we live. But yet you saw fit to draw us unto you and you saw fit, Father, to open our eyes. And you saw fit, Father, to give us faith. You saw fit, Lord, to draw us near to you and to give us eternal life. And we thank you, Father, for that. And we thank you that, that we have believed on the one and only Son. And thank you, Jesus, for going before us, you know, the first fruits. And we thank you, Lord, that we'll be like you. So, Lord, we can't wait. Meanwhile, that we will be a faithful people. Faithful, Lord. And that nothing in this world would take our eyes off of you. That nothing in this world would be worth compromising uh, over our, our love for you. That nothing, Lord, would keep us from embracing you in ways that bring you honor and glory. So we thank you for gathering us together here this hot day in July. Father, to gather together as the saints and brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray that we've honored you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand for a final song?